Welcome to the Catholic Leaders Podcast, where we talk with inspirational leaders and explore how faith informs leadership. I'm Carrie Robinson. And I'm Kim Smolik. We're executive partners at Leadership Roundtable, a ministry of hope for the church, founded to promote best practices in leadership and management. We're so excited to have you join us today. So click the subscribe button and let's get started. Welcome to the Catholic Leaders Podcast. This is our first episode, and we're so excited that you are here. Today, we'll be talking to Kim Daniels, director of Georgetown University's Initiative on Catholic Social Thought and Public Life. Of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Carrie Robinson. Carrie, how are you doing, and what have you been up to this week? I have had such a beautiful start to this new year. I've been to Charlotte and Orlando and New York, and in each of these cities, I've met with truly generous, creative, and loving people. It is one of the best parts of our work, encountering leaders who become friends. In fact, it is often on these travels that we realize how many extraordinarily talented and insightful leaders there are in our orbit and in our church. Many of them are unsung heroes. How exciting to be able to feature them on our podcast. How about you, Kim? How are you doing? I am feeling particularly renewed for the same reason. I recently had two dear friends visit from England this past weekend, and I met them through Discerning Leadership, which is, uh, as you know, Carrie, an international Jesuit organization based at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. And it seeks to prepare church leaders for a more synodal church, which is a topic we're going to be digging into today. As you know, a good friend of Leadership Roundtable, Father David McCallum, leads the organization, and I'm so pleased that he had the foresight to create what is called an accompaniment network, and it's a group of Catholic spiritual directors, coaches, and leaders from around the entire globe that supports the work of discerning leadership. I feel particularly blessed to be part of it. And so I was able to bring my friends that visited Jake and Annabelle to visit Holy Trinity Church in Georgetown uh, to the National Basilica just up the road from me. And unfortunately, uh, we weren't able to make it to one of my most treasured places in D.C., the Franciscan Monastery, um, which I tried to go to regularly, but I aimed uh, to leave them wanting for a return trip to D.C., Oh, how absolutely wonderful. And what a good host you are, not just of podcasts. Discerning leadership is such a gift to anyone fortunate enough to be part of it. And speaking of gifts, I loved our conversation with Kim Daniels. Having the chance to learn more about her career and her experience in leadership, both in the church here at home in the U.S. and in the Vatican was terrific. And I love that we are beginning our Catholic Leaders podcast series by featuring such a grounded, thoughtful, accomplished woman. My goodness, Kim really wowed us in this interview. She spoke both eloquently and very practically about our mandate to engage and to lift up the voices of of young people, of women, of people of color. 
I also really enjoyed this insider perspective she gave us to Pope Francis's conclave as she was reporting from the ground at, at that time and the focus of his papacy. I could not agree more. Honestly, it is remarkable how much of a hallmark of Pope Francis's pontificate this invitation to learn to live synodally is. If we can get this right, we might just be able to candidly address and help heal all that ails us as a church and as a society. And Carrie, as we know, Kim has incredible experience with synodal conversations and convenings both with the Synod and at her time at Georgetown. We are so excited to be able to share with you this incredible conversation and Kim's insight into the Synod and more. We'll be right back with Kim Daniels. Welcome to the Catholic Leaders Podcast. We are happy to have you listening today as we welcome a dear friend and inspiring leader, Kim Daniels. Kim Daniels is the director of Georgetown University's Initiative on Catholic Social Thought and Public Life. She has been an active leader in the church for many years, serving as a member of the Vatican Dicastery for Communication and advisor to the U.S. bishops, as well as an adjunct professor of theology at Georgetown. Kim regularly speaks and writes about matters germane to the Catholic Church and was a notable voice during the conclave that brought us Pope Francis in 2013. She is also a member of the Communications Commission for the Global Synod. Kim has been a tremendous advocate of our work at Leadership Roundtable and a highly valued partner. Welcome, Kim. We are so honored to have you among our inaugural guests on our podcast. Hi, Carrie, and hi, Kim. It's great to be here. I'm just honored that you would have me on this, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yes, thank you so much, Kim. Um, you know, when we began this podcast, you were one of the first people that came to mind to chat with as a leader in the church and as a friend of ours. Um, and, you know, we know your work well, and we follow it, and we are so grateful to be able to participate in it um, together with John Carr at Georgetown. And you've hosted many critical conversations surrounding the church in recent years and the challenges it's faced and the many good things it's doing. Um, and we'll definitely get into that, but many of our listeners probably don't know that prior to working for the church through the roles with the USCCB and the Vatican and Catholic Communications, you were also a practicing attorney. So would you tell us a little bit about your personal journey from practicing law to your role today at Georgetown and um, how also your faith has played a role in supporting your leadership along the way? Sure. Thanks for that question. Um, so I'm a cradle Catholic. I, you know, come from a, a wonderful Catholic family. Um, my Catholic faith was important to me in college and in law school. I was taught at a Catholic high school for a year after I graduated from college. Um, all very much a part of my life and and uh, and our family life um, as well. And having our family, when we started to have kids, we have a bunch of kids. And when we started to have them, I think like many people, I had to sort of rethink how I was approaching my professional life. And then that works out differently for everybody. But for me, it meant that I needed to shift from working at a sort of a major law firm with a, a 
very significant demands on my time professionally to um, working at home. And so I shifted to work uh, to do appellate work from home for nonprofits that focused on um, constitutional litigation. I was writing appellate briefs and and that kind of thing, mostly focused on religious liberty because that had been an academic interest of mine in law school. And um, this was well before it became kind of the wedge issue it is today when I got started with it. And through that, I got to know Cardinal Dolan um, and I became his spokesperson at the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. And I learned so much there. And while I'd always been a soup to nuts Catholic, right, and the teachings of the church on responding to poverty and caring for the environment and migrant and the refugee uh, and all the voiceless and vulnerable that were called to care for mm-hmm. had been as important to me as my religious liberty and pro-life work and all the rest. But I really learned so much about it at the USCCB um, and in my work there. Um, and in that process, uh, you know, of course, my faith was always sort of central to our lives, my life, our life as a family, my professional life. Um, but I really, again, kind of got exposed to how that the church works starting with that work uh, at the conference. I also got to know my my very good friend and colleague and mentor, John Carr, there. And we realized that we share so much in our approach to the church and approach to this work. Um, and I was on the first panel that when he founded the initiative 10 years ago, I was uh, on that very first panel that he had. And, um, and so now, I guess about three, almost, I guess three years ago, I came on full-time. Our kids are starting to get a little bit older and I was able to come on full-time and really just love our work there, love being at Georgetown, love the opportunity to work with uh, people across the church, both here in the United States and globally. Kim, beautiful. How serendipitous that you were on the first panel and now you're working there. That's that's a great story. It's a great story. And so in these many diverse roles that you've had, are there leadership skills or leadership values that have really carried you through or that you have learned along the way that you find uh, particularly valuable today, particularly in regard to helping build and lead a co-responsible church that's focused now on synodality? Absolutely. When I think about the skills, I think that, I, it, again, I think maybe this comes from being at a Jesuit institution, um, and maybe it just comes from watching and learning from what's going on in the church today. But but to me, the, the most important thing I've learned in the past uh, several years in this work has been the importance of listening to others and learning from them. And that means seeking dialogue with others who have different views, avoiding demonization or dismissal of people with opposing views, and working to collaborate where we agree, respectfully disagree where we must, um, but learning from that dialogue. That's what authentic dialogue means. I think it also means incorporating the voices of people whose voices aren't always uh, aren't always part of the conversation. So that means making sure that young people's voices are part of the conversation. The voices of those who are marginalized are part of the conversation. And importantly, women's voices are part of the conversation. To my mind, uh, it's just critical that women's roles, um, uh, women's sort of involvement in decision-making and their voices are increasingly a part of the conversation in the Catholic Church. I think we're seeing that as this local results from the synod start to come in. You're starting to see a bunch of different themes emerge. And one of them is to make sure that women's role in decision-making uh, increases in the church. Well, speaking of the synod, and you've, you've framed this beautifully, this next question, we, we know that you have been advising the Vatican during the synod process 
through your role in the Dicastery for Communication. And much of the synod process centers on conversations, the very conversations you've just alluded to, conversations about our church, about the people who belong to the church, and about the ways we are church. But there is still a huge swath of Catholics who are unfamiliar with the synod and this term synodality. What should people know about the synod? What should they understand? It's such a it's such an interesting word, isn't it, uh, Carrie? Because it comes from the history of the church is very traditional in many ways. Um, uh, and what I think just to break it down into terms we can understand today, it's a gathering. A synod is a gathering of the faithful with their pastors in order to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. Synods are very rooted in our tradition, and it's they're one important way that renewal takes place in the church. You can look to the early church, Vatican II. Uh, John Paul II and Benedict, all synodality was very important in all of those errors for all of those people. Um, and Pope Francis frequently reminds us about this traditional aspect of synodality and synods. But he also says that tradition means that we're supposed to keep ourselves from becoming a museum church. He says, beautiful, but mute with much past and little future. He also, my favorite image that he uses is that he says, we're not here to, to worship ashes, but we're here to keep a fire burning. And I think that that's what fidelity to tradition really looks like. I would also say that mission is at the heart of the synodal effort. Um, mission is at the heart of what we're doing, right? We're, we're here to listen and we're here to create, strengthen the church's witness in the world and better engage with that mission. And one final thing I'll say is that we just have this great story to tell here, right? The world's oldest continuing institution, widely seen in the secular world as stuck in the past and beset with problems. And here we are embarking on something new and bold, which is this global listening process open to everyone, aimed at renewing our ability to live out our mission, and especially listening to those lying wounded on the roadside. I think it's an incredible, credible story, and I think it's it's remarkable that we're engaging in it. I'm really looking forward to the results. So, uh, Kim, you had the honor of being part of global coverage of the installation of Pope Francis and worked in the church throughout, have worked throughout his papacy. So we're grateful. We're grateful he's taken many strides to remove leadership barriers. And as you spoke about previously, especially for women, um, even recently with the appointment of Sister Natalie Beckhart as undersecretary um, to the Synod and the new constitution. So um, these actions may be happening at the Holy See, but I'm we're really interested in your thoughts on how do they play out locally in our parishes and our Catholic organizations, our dioceses, our colleges and universities. Sure. Let me take a step back forward, back to the conclave that elected Pope Francis, because it was such a wonderful experience for me. I was there to do English speaking media. So I was talking about the church with, you know, everybody sort of descends on Rome at the time of a conclave and, and need people to talk about what the church is and where we're going. And, and I was there sort of one of those many people. And it was just such a wonderful experience for me to really understand the global church that we are blessed to be a part of. Because I think sometimes we have such a perspective focused on here in the United States. And for me, that was a moment that really showed me what a global church we are. Because every day waiting for that white smoke to come up, the people in the square from all around the world, you know, you had you had Philippi, I can remember Filipina nuns who were singing, dancing joyously the whole time. There were German students who were singing in a sort of more sober way. There were Americans who were, yes, throwing a foot 
football. I mean, it was all just wonderful, this wonderful mosaic of our church. And then Pope Francis is elected and it has been, he was so wonderful and humble in his words and his actions at that moment. He asked for our blessing. He asked for us to bless him. And you could hear the water in the fountains at that moment. It went from being this raucous, noisy, joyous celebration to a similar kind of joy, a quiet joy, as we, as he asked for our blessing. And it was that kind of humility and his words and actions that followed that for me personally have been a wonderful challenge because I think our faith, if it's not challenging, I feel like it's it's not as, as alive as it can be. And so that was a wonderful moment for me. Now, of course, um, one thing, one step forward that we need to take is that there, we need to have, again, as we've discussed, women's voices more involved in decision-making in the church. And that is not even getting close to sort of canonical questions or anything like that. There's so much running room before we get to those, those more complicated issues, I would say. Um, Sister Natalie Bacar, you mentioned, um, and as you mentioned, she is one of two undersecretaries for the Vatican Synod, uh, Office of the Synod. She is dynamic. She's inspiring. She'll have a vote at the Synod, which is just so important, a real turning point. You know, obviously we sit here in, in 2022 and say to ourselves, you know, in our own in professional life in general here in the United States, certainly women have so much leadership responsibility. Um, and so these seem like very small steps and, and yet it's a real inflection point. There's so much left to be done, but I think her election is very much an inflection point as we move forward and think about how there can be greater inclusion of women in church decision-making more broadly. So I also just want to highlight, I want to highlight the role of the Leadership Roundtable, Carrie, uh, you and Kim, and what you're doing there as a representation of how women can take the lead in the church and raise up the voice of the lady more broadly. I also think, of course, of Elizabeth McCall, who was part of your team. And I think about the work that Elizabeth and many other women are doing at the Vatican really to shore up and strengthen economics and uh, financial issues there, which is obviously such a critical and important issue. Leaders of universities and leaders of our major social service ministries here in the United States are women. And you see, you know, obviously women religious. We can't talk about uh, women's role in the church without talking about women religious. I think of Sister Carol Zinn and others. And frankly, at the initiative, um, we often, when we set up a dialogue, when we have a conversation about an important issue, um, we always try to have a diversity of perspectives and people who are working on the ground to get things done as part of those conversations. And frankly, invariably, we will reach out to uh, women religious because they are the ones who are getting things done ground level so often. Um, and we've really tried to do our part, of course, you know, over the last few years, we're very proud that we've had half women, half people of color uh, as the participants in our discussions. I think that really enriches the discussion, enriches our dialogue. Um, and we finally, I just want to point out the many young emerging leaders that we're seeing. Uh, I think of Casey Stanton as one. I know there are many others out there who are doing work, Janine Marino at the Archdiocese of Washington, who are just right doing so much to bring the kind of idea the excitement, the enthusiasm to these conversations. Um, and, and that's where you see it happening. But it's so important. I don't mean to go on, but I just mean to say that it's critical that we get this next generation of women involved in the church, um, in our parishes, in our communities, in our schools, and in these higher roles as well. Um, and I think to do that, we really need to demonstrate that women do have a role in decision-making because we're losing young women and that should be seen as a critical issue for church leaders. I wanna go back to the initiative. 
Georgetown University has been leading many difficult conversations through the Institute since it was founded in 2013. More than 120 dialogues, close to 200,000 participants, four national convenings on poverty, Catholic social thought, and lay leadership. I'm so proud of my alma mater, and I am proud of you and John Carr. You have brought together Catholic leaders with politicians, journalists, academics, students, and the broader public in honest and faithful discussion, always with the goal of helping a hurting church and uniting a divided nation. Can you tell us what you personally have learned through this important work? How has it impacted you as a leader? Well, thanks for highlighting the work of the initiative, Carrie. I think we're, I'm just so grateful to be at Georgetown, which supports our work and puts this uh, our work and our focus on mission, our Catholic and Jesuit mission front and center. And I think that our work at the initiative in trying to build bridges across political, ideological, and ecclesial lines to try to promote dialogue and bring Catholic social thought front and center in our public conversations is so critical and important to me. And I love having this this place where we get so much support to do that. And finally, I think it's important how we, my favorite part of the work is trying to raise up the voices of young people and diverse voices, um, and particularly working with students at Georgetown. So I really love what we do there, and we're always looking for opportunities to really make our work have even more of an impact. I would say the lessons I've learned, learned so many lessons over the past years. And the first, as I mentioned earlier, is the idea of having diverse voices in the room. We've had half women, half people of color as part of our discussions, part of our dialogues over the past several years. And it just enriches the conversation so much more. Um, when you have people from different backgrounds, experiences, understandings, it makes the conversation that much more rich. And I think that's one of the reasons we say, and we think about how we can enrich decision-making in the church with that same kind of diversity as well. Secondly, I would say I've just learned the importance of trying to engage and persuade about trying to avoid demonization of others and working with those who disagree with us. Um, and in that process, of course, in that process of engaging and persuading and having dialogue with other people, listening and learning, right? I mean, to know that we don't always have all the answers and that our approach to issues can be enriched by listening to people who are critical of that approach. We shouldn't be scared of that. We shouldn't have a kind of culture of silence where we avoid those difficult conversations. Um, having said that, we shouldn't be silent in public life either. I've also learned about the importance of renewing the, the voice of the Catholic Church in public life. It's just critical. The principles of Catholic social thought provide a moral vocabulary that people are hungry for in public life. It allows us to assess issues and analyze them, and most of all, to keep the voice and vulnerable front and center. It allows us to talk about the importance of community and solidarity in the face of the kind of isolation and division that we have right now. Um, and it focuses on the equal dignity of all, no matter how weak or vulnerable or voiceless. To my mind, these are critical issues, critical approaches to public life right now. And I think that we can do that as Catholics, despite the division, we can do our best to lean into bringing those kind of principles to public life. In doing that, I think it's important that we're political, um, but not partisan. 
Um, and finally, I would say that I think it's really important to raise up the voices of young people. And that's a lesson that we've learned as well, um, to combine the voices and the experience of experienced leaders on the one hand, who obviously bring so much that they've learned over the years, with the voices of emerging leaders who are learning how to work in different kinds of decision-making roles and at the same time have an idealism and an energy that they bring to the conversation that's important for all of us. Kim, I really appreciate about what you're saying as it relates to diversity and unifying our church. Uniting the church and finding our common ground is a central focus of what you're working on as well as what Leadership Roundtable is working on. What are some other things you think we really need to lean into and pay attention to as we seek to unite our church? I think it's important to remember that sometimes people think about you know calls for unity or calls for dialogue as sort of reaching for a mushy middle, right? Where there's some kind of least common denominator Catholicism and that's what people are talking about when they talk about unity or dialogue. I couldn't disagree more with that. I mean, it's very important as a predicate matter to say that what we're about is bringing our principles and all their robustness and all the challenge that they have at their heart to public life. And it's not about sort of watering them down at all, but it's about bringing them with integrity to that conversation. So I think that, what we can do now when we see so much going on, right? I think about, I think about on the one hand, the, you know, we we suffered through a violent attack on our capital, right? And and there's no way in which we can't call out attacks on democratic institutions, right? We can't say that as Catholics, it's important important for us to uphold um, the democratic principles here in the United States that have allowed us to practice our faith and to live by our principles um, and to recognize that. So we need to say things clearly, and that's one of the things we need to say clearly. Um, And on the other hand, I think that it's important to say that when we do try to have conversations with people that we disagree with, that we really are in a posture of listening and not in a posture of why are you wrong? How can I change your mind? What do I need to say next to win this conversation? Because that's not what we're called to do as Christians. And I think that's something that Pope Francis has modeled so well, right? I think that he has been both someone who speaks with incredible clarity and challenge, um, and at the same time, someone who is willing to listen to all voices, who really strives not to shut down conversation, who doesn't Uh, water down principles, um, and at the same time has shown a real openness to those who disagree. You are doing such great work and speaking uh, really well about this concept of diversity in our church and how you're highlighting it at the initiative. And we know it's not diversity just for diversity's sake. You're talking about the richness that that provides. And we know that this is core to being the body of Christ. And we know diversity is also core to understanding God. Um, So how does the inclusion of of diverse voices and the the full um, breadth of our church help us become a more unified church? I, you know, I'm going to maybe focus on one particular issue to, to, to get at that question, Kim. And to my mind, that's clergy sexual abuse. I think that for many, many years, um, certain voices dominated that conversation. And we, we know now, having looked back, we're obviously so much more to be done in responses to clergy abuse. Um, and we have so many more voices to listen to. And I, my colleague here at Georgetown, Father Jerry McGlone, is really doing an important project about listening to the voices of survivors. Um, but having said that, what we've learned through uh, our the church's stumbling response to the clergy abuse crisis is that including diverse voices in that conversation and including women in particular in that conversation has been so important to resisting the culture of clericalism that allowed this abuse 
to occur and allowed it to be covered up uh, and allowed it to persist. And you think back and you say to yourself, had more women been in the room as this started to snowball, um, what would have happened differently? And I have to think that uh, we would have had a more robust, I think about the McCarrick report, for instance, and the first person who identifies former Cardinal McCarrick as a potential abuser is the mom of one of the one of the boys that he abuses, if you read the McCarrick report. Uh, and I just have to think that had we had women's voices in those rooms, had we had parents' voices in those rooms, had we had the voices of people who are vulnerable, the voices of people who have suffered um, in a robust way, in a way that that um, has really affected their lives, uh, we would have had uh, hopefully a response to this that happened sooner. And having said that, of course, we still have so much more to do there. And, and that's another reason for making sure that we continue that conversation. Well, we certainly agree wholeheartedly with everything you have said and, and how you have framed that. In fact, Leadership Roundtable is almost 20 years old now and was created in response to that uh, heartbreaking crisis uh, first coming out of Boston. So, And we thank you for your work on that. You have uh, prioritized young adults in every aspect of your, your personal life as a mother of six and your professional life, uh, most notably now at Georgetown through the initiative. We also care deeply about young adults as vitally important leaders in our church right now. And anything and everything we can do to equip them to be at tables of decision making and, and conversation matters. Can you point to some initiatives that young adults are really leading that uh, will inspire our listeners and us? Sure. Well, I'm going to highlight one in particular, and that's esteem, um, which obviously you all are so, uh, you know, this is this comes out of your work. But I just had the opportunity to speak uh, with the esteem national conference and and the wonderful work of Nicole Perrone there, who, who was in a leadership role and really brought all those young people together there. It's a way of getting young people who are just out of college transitioning from that life in college, where if you're involved in, in campus ministry or you're involved in other parts of your faith there, you have a little bit of a support system often, right? And you have other people around. And then you go out in the world and you don't necessarily have that same kind of support system until maybe your kids are in school or or you're in a professional role in the church or something else. So esteem, to my mind, my understanding is that it's there to kind of bridge that and bring young adult leadership out into the world um, and really support young adults as they as they move and transition into those that next stage of their lives. It was remarkable. There were all these, there were college students there from all across the United States. They asked so many wonderful questions and they're challenging questions, right? I mean, we need to be challenged on, on decision-making in the church. We need to be challenged on, on keeping true to the church's principles in public life, again, across the board. Um, and I think it was just an exciting place to be. And I know that they do so much great work there. So that's, that's one of the places where I think young people are doing great work. Um, I would also want to, I just want to highlight uh, a group of young people at the Vatican. Um, I, as you mentioned earlier, have a role at the Vatican Dicastery for Communication. And one thing that the Dicastery leaders have been doing is bringing together young people to help train them in communication skills and work at the Vatican so that they can grow in those skills and then take that out to where they work in the global church. 
And we had just a tremendous meeting where these young people had been working on um, how to think about Vatican communications and church communications in the digital world. And the dicastery brought together these young leaders with, again, not just church communicators, but experts in the field from secular firms, from universities, from all over, and had this robust conversation about what it is to be a communicator for faith in the digital age. And uh, the enthusiasm and energy there was remarkable. The wisdom, frankly, of, of these you know, secular leaders and university experts was remarkable. I learned so much. Um, and it was a real example of what the church can do to build out our network uh, across the world. Again, we're the global church and we have so many resources. So, so true. And that I have also been following that network of young adults from all over the world engaged in that in that work. So what a terrific conversation. We are so grateful to to have this conversation with you. We typically end our podcast by asking our guest a very hopeful, proactive question. So prevailing upon all of your experience and wisdom, Kim. What is one action that if we all committed to doing today would help build a stronger, more vibrant church? Sure. Well, I think, you know, everybody listening to this podcast will bring many different kinds of gifts to the church, to our faith, to their communities. Um, but when I think about our church, I think about it existing at a local level, right, in a very practical, concrete way, and also being the kind of global church that we have been talking about that has diverse experiences around the globe um, and is different in many different places, right? It's it's so much like what God's love is like, right? It's both concrete in particular, and it's something that is wildly diverse and different. And so to build on that, I would say two things. On the one hand, become active in your own parish, right? Commit to a parish and become active in it. No matter if it's not exactly perfect, it's not just what you'd like, you know, the music isn't great or the pastor's homilies are too long or they don't have the kinds of, maybe they don't serve, um, you know, the needs of, of your family as well as they might or of you in particular. And at the same time, be the person who builds that out. Be the person who strengthens your parish. Be the person who uh, learns, builds relationships and see how you can bring um, God's love, live out God's love in that very particular community with all its challenge. And at the same time, sort of parallel to that, actively learn more about how the church is active in places very different from where your parish is, right? So learn about the global church. Think about a country that you're interested in and learn about what the church is doing there and maybe how you can be involved there, whether it's supporting a ministry there, uh, whether it's learning more about the country and the church's actions there. But I think focusing locally on a parish and your act and becoming active there and globally on the way our church is, is present around the world is one way we can all contribute to rebuilding our church. Thank you so much, Kim, for joining us today and for inspiring us. You have deepened our understanding of the immense value that women and young adults and people of color and other historically marginalized people that are currently contributing to our global church, what they're doing um, today and for the future of the church. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to be part of the podcast and cannot thank you enough for your leadership in the church. And we look forward to having you back again in the future. Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks so much for having me. And to all the team who supports this podcast, I really appreciate you having me on. And I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, the others that you have on the show. So thanks again. 
It is always a joy to host the Catholic Leaders Podcast. A special thank you to our terrific colleagues who make this podcast possible, to our eloquent and inspiring guests, and to you, our deeply appreciated listeners. We're especially grateful for the production support of Jenna McAndrew and Kate Alexander. Original theme music by Rachel Taylor, and as always, the generous sponsors of Leadership Roundtable. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.